Welcome to a dream edition of ARG Presents. I'm your good buddy, your good pal, your dream boy, amigo Aaron, joined by everyone's personal nightmare. I give you the Brent. Aaron, no, no, man. <laughs> yeah, dream boy. <laughs> Come on, you know dream I'm your boy. Dream boy. The unknown Sega uh, Portable. We'll take it. it would be a good name, wouldn't it? Now think about it. Dream Boy, that would be awesome. They Although, ever make a portable Dreamcast, that's the name. If you're if you're marketing yourself as portable, I got some news for you. <laughs> Listen, there's a minor battery issue, okay? It comes with its own fork truck. <laughs> take off, man. <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to put up with you. Listen, everybody. <laughs> we've spun the wheel. We've made the deal. And this week, the Brit, we're going to be playing, bam, it's the Dream Cast. Brit, coming around. If, if somehow they didn't figure it out by now. Coming around for a second appearance on the show. Yes. It's hard to believe that we haven't done that much uh, Dream Cast on the show. I mean, there may have been a couple other uh, oddball appearances, but for the most part, this is really the second time we've covered the console as a whole. Now, we both at one time, owned Dreamcast. I mean, I know I own some now, but you yeah. own at least one, right? That's correct. Do you remember what motivated you to pick up a Dreamcast back in the day? Rock bottom prices. <laughs> so you got in at the tail end, is what you're saying. Well, I, I got in when the when the price decided to take a plunge. Yeah, I mean, but so there was no specific game that lured you in? Uh, No, not that I remember. I know that... uh uh. I had a lot more fun with the Saturn. The Saturn actually had games. I was geared up. I was ready to play. I was I was good to go. Um, on Dreamcast, I think probably my most played game in terms of hours logged was Seaman, <laughs> the one where you talk to the little oh I know that one creature yeah yeah um, yeah and I, I played the absolute crap out of that trying to to evolve that guy and get things to work correctly. Yeah. And let me tell you something. Brutal. Brutal game. Seaman was a... Uh, uh, I don't think we've seen a game like it uh, since then. And I'm Not sure on a console. I mean, at, it, it, it at an its core, it's a virtual pet, right? Yeah. And, and there's been tons of virtual pet games. But not but where the virtual one... pet's are creepy and a jerk. <laughs> That's right. That's what this... That's this right. is like, if you want a jerk creepy pet that looked weird and, and treated you like garbage to pick Seaman, up a dream boy does he ever say anything nice at all to you i don't think oh yeah did. well i mean you affected his mood by the way you treated him and the way you fed him and the way you kept his bowl and all that good stuff yeah um so it was it was i, I suppose at my own hand that he was a bit unkind but it wasn't like i was trying to do that the game was just very difficult to balance and it was a heck of a time commitment. The thing about semen is, it it was it's an anomaly. All right, I'll tell you why. And now this may be a revelation to some people. You semen involves you having as a pet a fish with a human head. Okay. Yeah. That so that and that's the game. And you talk into a microphone and take care of this pet. That right there is weird enough. But then they had the guts to call it semen, yeah. which that is another like. How did this game make it to market with the premise and the name that it did? It's amazing to me that it did. And you know, the funny thing, I was telling Britt before the show, I was like, we're going to talk about the top-selling games for the, for the I almost said Amiga, for the dadgum uh, Dreamcast. <laughs> so get this. 
this surprised me since we're talking about it. Semen was in the top 10 best-selling games on the Dreamcast. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's because of its uniqueness. No, that's not good enough. There are oh, tons okay. of unique games. I don't know why this sold so much. <laughs> I can only assume people were like, listen, you got to see this. I've gotta, or I'm going to buy this for Billy. You know, also, I'm... you have to remember, this is not a game you could pick up secondhand unless the secondhand included you know, the microphone. Because right. the microphone was a big deal, and I don't remember there being third-party microphones uh, for the Dreamcast at the time. Do you have a so, micro- Do you have a Dreamcast right now? No. Okay, I've got a couple. Yeah, yeah, and, I'm pretty sure you have mine. And I don't, I, I don't have a microphone. Yeah, I, exactly. Which is funny because I do own. The, I think this might be yours too, but I've got Seaman the actual disc. Yeah, I'm sure it here. is mine. So. Listen, while while we're on the subject, just for fun, I thought we'd go down through some of these games before we sh- start to show off proper. And I want to get your opinion on these if you played them and all. <clears throat> you know, I look at these top ten numbers; they're not that good, if I'm no. honest. Uh, and think about this: that tenth uh, best-selling game uh, uh, on the Dreamcast, J League Pro Soccer Club. All well, right? yeah, that's, that's. Have you just... heard of that? No, but I'm sure that sold well overseas. Well, here's the thing. Get this. Though. Keep in mind, this is the 10th best-selling game. You know, you know the numbers on this thing? Take a guess. Oh, I'm sure mm. it's probably sub-million. Yeah, you're right. It's .36 million, so 360,000. Yeah. That stuns me, okay? Uh, the next on the docket, that game I did play, which was uh, Virtual Party 3TB at uh, .37 million or 370,000. I did not like this game, and I like Virtual Fighter. I thought this was a dud. Did you try this one? Uh, no, Mm-mm, not on Dreamcast. It's funny that the Dreamcast was great at playing fighting games, and you would think a Virtual Fighter would come on, but I thought this game sucked. It was nowhere near as good as Virtual Fighter Two. That's my, you know, that's my opinion. Well, uh, it was also one of the worst of the Virtual Fighter games. Yeah, it just was so. no good. It was a dud. You know, I hated it. Uh, next to the dock at eighth, this is what I'm sure you played: Sega Rally Championship Two. At four hundred and ten thousand copies sold. Okay, you know, the, the Sega Rally games are always good. Sega was a heck of a hand at playing racing games. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of the Rally stuff, but I thought this, this one was okay. Did you, did you give that one a shot? Yeah, yeah, I, I played it. Okay, we I, I, I did not own, but I did play. We mentioned at seventh, uh, you had Seaman at half, half, a little over half a million copies. Yeah, uh, which again, the fact that that's in the top ten is a, an indictment. Now this one is this is sort of a triumph at number six, uh, clocking in at just over a million copies. This was the game that had to be made, and it was NFL Two K One, the Absolutely. NFL game where when EA decided not to support uh, the the console or bring Madden over to it. You know, terrific the, game. The Two K series mm. was so good that it effectively forced EA's hands to get that you know, draconian NFL license. That yep. barred anyone else from making a, a licensed NFL game for all those years. Uh, but the, what do you mean uh, all those years? It's still in effect. Well, no, I think no, I think it's ran out by now. Uh, I will say that on the cover of Two K One, our own, our own Randy Moss, yeah, you know, is on the cover. He was uh, one of the cover boys. Uh, he wasn't what I would call the most congenial athlete, <laughs> but uh, he was a heck of a guy. He, I will say, the guy supported the local community. You know, a lot. he did. He and, did. Which is funny because he buried West Virginia more than yeah, I was going to say. 
It's funny, he's... West Virginians, we're self-hating West Virginia. Even all of us are like this. We all occasionally bury it because it's like, oh, you you just can't bear how stupid things have gotten. Uh, next, number five. This is one I never played. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Resident Evil codename Veronica at 1.14 million. Uh, you, ever do, you ever do the Resident Evil Veronica? I, I have played a lot of resident evil games but not many if any of the offshoots not yeah. not veronica for example here's one that this is an indictment of the dreamcast right here actually at number four selling only 1.18 million copies and keeping in mind all the money they spent this and all the time it's the old shin move brent oh well yeah they yeah. they 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 spent it all on this game tons and tons of money and that was what they came up with, the 1.18 uh, million copies. So, which is, that's a drop in the bucket. Uh, well, I mean, that was okay. That Breaking not, a million, even that, back in the day, was pretty good. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's still, for what they spent on it, like, they took a bath, a huge Oh, bath yeah, no, that. it was a tremendous financial Have you disaster. played the Shinmu? Yes, yeah. I don't I like mean, them. It's hard to get into, isn't it? And it's sort of monotonous. Yeah. It's it's funny, I was watching, you know, they, they did sort of a Kickstarter gimmicky deal for Shinmu 3 that came out and the guy that makes Shinmu apparently he's just real like uh he's just real, he's a strange guy and like he wants it he wants it that away if I could sing a little bit of that and so when they made the new Shinmu despite the fact that it came out like I don't know a decade later or whatever he wouldn't change hardly anything he's still got the same cruddy inventory system it's got a lot of the same stuff because that's that's the way he wanted it that's he wasn't gonna change it so and and it was sort of noted as not it's it's uh, polarizing. Let's put it that way. Uh, number three, uh, NFL Two K. This is at which a one point two million. So actually, there wasn't a lot of fallout between the first and second ones. That one also had Randy Moss on the cover. Second, now, now this is a perennial uh, favorite on the Dreamcast. When you think of the Dreamcast, this is one of the first games that comes up. Crazy Taxi, sure, one point eight one million. You know, this was an arcade port. Did you ever play this in the arcade before you saw the Dreamcast oh, version? Heck yeah! I, I don't think, oh yeah, I saw Absolutely. it after, but I don't think I ever played it beforehand. In the arcade, I thought this was pretty fun, but not like you know, it wasn't the best thing I ever saw. But when you took it home, they did such a good job uh, porting it over that it did it did quite well. You know, it's a plus we all know the uh, yeah 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 the start of it when you get in there, you get the offspring going. Uh, good game, uh, but it's not what I would call the deepest game. And then the top-selling game, Brand. Can you guess the top-selling game? Want to give it a shot? Well, I, I mean, there's a few that you haven't named yet that I'm surprised aren't on there. Yeah. Knight, uh, Soul Calibur. None of those um, didn't make it. Either one of them made it. I was surprised about that, too. Uh, uh, Daytona. It has to be Daytona, then. It's not. Number oh. one, uh, selling 2.42 million copies, which means this thing literally uh, uh, was, uh, you know, it's this thing was by far... I mean, this thing was almost, uh, it was over half a million up on the on the previous game. Sonic Adventure. Sonic Adventure, number one. Sonic wow. game. People had to have Sonic uh, in, in their life. I have played this. I think it's a pretty decent game. I mean, it's okay. But it's I, nothing like the, the, like, it's nothing like the 2D Sonics. <laughs> I, you know what? I actually, I questioned that list. You questioned the list. Well, yeah. feel free to. Because there's, free to there's a few games that, that. I mean, maybe they weren't including things like packing games, which if they didn't, that's fine. Well, those uh, aren't sold games, so technically. Well, uh, you know, the, uh, you know yeah. the funny thing is what, we, what I find fascinating about that. That's the reason I wanted to bring it up. 
is that the top-selling game on that list system sold 2.42 million copies. Like, if you compare that to the competition, I mean, that's that a, a game that sold that many copies on another system would be considered a hit, but it would not be considered a breakaway, like, ultra hit. You know what I'm saying? No, no, that's not true. It depends on... You have to, to, to dial it back to the year that we're talking about. You know, uh, games have become so much more mainstream that now when you sell a million copies, you kind of break even. And on some series, selling a million copies is, is abysmal. It's a huge loss. You know, your Call of Duties, your your uh, GTAs, that well, sort of thing. to put it in perspective, if you look at the PS2 list, of which the Dreamcast is a contemporary, okay, the top-selling game was Grand Theft Auto San, Antonio, uh, San Andreas. San Antonio. <laughs> San Antonio. That's what I'll talk about. Uh, anyway, that one, <laughs> keep in mind, the top Dreamcast gave 2 point some million copies. San Andreas sold 17.33 million copies. That's, right, that's so, you're, you're, you're comparing apples and oranges, though. Well, I'm just saying, I'm looking at the top 10 list here, and the top, he, uh, Sonic wouldn't have made the top. Let's see how when it would click in here. You'd be talking about, it would be, it would be behind stuff like uh, WWE SmackDown. It would be way down the list here in the 40s or 50s. So well, I, that's what I'm just okay, saying. Okay, here's the other thing you have to to keep in mind: how many PS told PS2s were sold? All of them. Everyone guess, owned a PS2. I guess what I'm saying is the Dreamcast was an abysmal failure. I guess. It's, <laughs> and now, with that mentioned, let's cover the Dreamcast. You know, we kind of <laughs> know that because the Dream Boy never got released. That's true. Well, I'm sitting right here. Well, so, Brent. Now we could pick any game contained. we we could pick any game we wanted. Uh, from the, the the what I would call it a pretty decent library of Dreamcats. It's not like they didn't make any good games, but they made tons. Absolutely. We picked two completely different games. Uh, what did you, I'll let you lead the dance. What was your game this week, my friend? Aaron, I played something that I honestly uh, never played. Yeah. And I, I'm not even sure I was aware of uh, uh, at its time of release. So this was a new experience for me. Metropolis Street Racer. Yeah, I'd heard of this, but I'd never played it either. Yeah, I, I was uh, um, flipping through games. <clears throat> I said, you know what? I'm going to play. I want to play a racing game. And I was flipping through. And of course, they've got, there are tons of good Dreamcast racers. And I, I saw Metropolis Street Racer. And the preview I watched had a country song playing. And it, the country song was so over the top stupid. I was like, okay, this is it. The radio this is what I'm going to pick. are rough, yes. <laughs> I was hoping you'd get to those. So I uh, uh, grabbed it and and popped it in and started playing it, and holy cow, what a game. So let's run down this for a little bit, Aaron. Uh, this game was released uh, by Bizarre Creations, and we're going to talk about them in just a second. Uh, in Europe, this actually got a Europe release before it got a north american release and did not get a japanese release even though one of the feature cities in it is tokyo so that is, i noticed that that is and of all the things that japanese racing game not, or uh, a racing game not getting a japanese release that struck me as odd because this is an easy game to translate you know um, i don't agree with that uh so in europe it released november 2000 in north america it released january of 2001 but real quick, I want to talk about Bizarre Creations, the people who made this game. 
Aaron, do you know the name that Bizarre Creations started as before they became Bizarre Creations? Well, uh, stop me from, but did they develop on the Amiga? Uh, yes, yes, they did. Okay, there you go. I knew that much, but I don't know the name. I thought, man. Okay, they were originally Racing Hell Software. That's and that, they, that sucks. That they, game's <laughs> no, not that game developer. No, I'm talking about the develop. That name is no good. So they started back on the old C64, and they had Combat Crazy, and then on the Amiga and Atari ST and Sega Me- Mega Drive, they did the Killing Game Show. Yeah, that's it. Yes, and uh, uh, they also released Wiz and Liz for the Amiga yeah. and Sega. Pretty good game. So S- Sega actually approached them because they heard that they were doing a Formula One racer for the PlayStation. And they were like, well, crap, the Dreamcast needs a racing game, and we don't want these guys making a bunch of PlayStation games, so let's try to kill two birds with one stone. We, we'll, we'll yoink them up and have them start working on uh, a driving game for the Dreamcast. <clears throat> so Bizarre Creations agreed. They said, yep, well, we're ready. Let's see what we can do. Because Sega offered them more freedom. Uh, they were doing F1 games on the PlayStation, and they'd done a couple of them, actually. And they were looking to do something different, so Sega tried to steal from the competition, gave these guys some more freedom, and uh, brought them over to the Dreamcast. There was one thing that Sega wouldn't let them keep, and that was their name. Uh, they said, Raising Hell, not going to work. You have to change your name if you want to come work for us. Uh, and they eventually said, you know what, this is a huge opportunity, let's do it, and became Bizarre Creations. Uh, unfortunately, Bizarre Creations, uh, after their Dreamcast run, well, I mean, this isn't a bad thing, but it, it, they went to the uh, Xbox side of things, where they put out quite a few games in the Project Gotham Racing scene, uh, which, even though uh, the... MSR is not officially the precursor for the Gotham games. It basically is. They just carried the concept over to the Microsoft consoles. They were eventually dissolved after being bought by Activision. Uh, they Activision kept them around for a little while. Said, you know what? You guys aren't what we want. We're going to try to sell you. And there wasn't an immediate buyer, so they just dissolved the country. So Activision killing yet another classic studio but what are you gonna do but they this is the reoccurring theme on this show we just see the big companies swoop in and murder the small companies that's it uh on the upside a lot of the folks uh some folks from bizarre creation branched off and made a mobile game company in 2011 they saw where that was going unfortunately they folded a year later uh on a high note though a lot of the Bizarre Creation guys, when Activision bought the company, were like, you know what, screw this. Uh, we're just, we like we like working with the Xbox. We like working with Microsoft. We're just going to stay here. And Microsoft actually hired on a ton of their programmers to work on the Forza series. I don't mm-hmm. know how many of them are still working with the Forza games today, but the Forza games are still coming out and are still wildly popular. And there so, is there are some there are some similarities, no doubt. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So 
you know, uh, although the company eventually folded, uh, and when that's obviously not good, a lot of the employees were able to find uh, gainful employment elsewhere. So let's talk a little bit about the game they made in 2000. And <coughs> you can't talk about this game before first addressing the controversy. Uh, as I said before, this was released over in Europe before it got released in America. And the initial European release for the PAL systems were so bad, so bug-ridden, that they pulled them off the shelves and offered anyone who had the first releases free replacement copies. Not a good way to start. Because, uh, you know, Sega doesn't have that kind of money to to be doing that kind of stuff anyway. The company blamed Sega because the Sega was doing QA control and Bizarre Creation said, listen, we fixed every single bug that you told us about. And of course, Sega was like, well, yeah, but some of these bugs were so glaring, we shouldn't have had to tell you about it. So right off the bat, a bit of a rocky start for uh, MSR. But the game as a whole did... I finally get updated releases because I know, you know, this was before there was patching on games. Once you press the disc, that was it. It went out the door and it had to either sink or swim on its own. So what did MSR bring to the table that was so revolutionary? Uh, quite a bit. Quite a bit. Very first thing, of course, this is a racing game and it has you traveling down streets in major cities. Now, the... Courses are all enclosed. You get, of course, the, the classic concrete barriers with arrows pointing what direction you're supposed to go around the circuit. But this had three major cities kind of mapped out in it. And, of course, it didn't cover the entire cities, but it covered a large map portion. And the team at MSR tried really hard to get the details of where they were mapping out perfect. Uh, they sent individuals or teams to these locations, made maps, took thousands of pictures, and tried to get as much detail into the game as they could. The places they went were San Francisco, London, and Tokyo. So those are the three major cities that all of these courses take place in. And like I said before, it's it's not the entire city, of course, but it's a large splot of it. And then they make races by just blocking off roads and having circuits. So that was the first thing that places, games like that have been made before, but it was still kind of cutting edge. Not so much the big thing, but it was close. <clears throat> the next thing that they did was when you booted up your Dreamcast, you put in your local time of day, the date and time of day. And the reason why this was so important and so stressed when you first turn up the game is it had you driving in the appropriate time of day depending on what course you were in. So, for example, let's say you lived in San Francisco and it was uh, 8 in the morning. When you raced on San Francisco courses, it would be 8 in the morning, and it would be, you know, nighttime over in London or Tokyo, whichever appropriate. And the times of days were morning, 
evening and nighttime, and the environments, the lighting, the conditions all change to match that. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. That's kind of neat. You don't hear that's not something I don't think I've seen before. Yeah, it, I don't know if that was if they were necessarily the first to do that. I tried to find it. I'm not. I can't say 100 percent sure they are. Uh, but a very neat inclusion in the game. And they also had tons of weather effects. I I mean, it's basically sunny or rain, but the levels of rain that they had, they had where it had, it had just rained, so it wasn't currently raining, but the ground was wet, a light drizzle, a, a medium rain, and then an absolute massive downpour. And these do affect how your cars handle and drive. Uh, they also had layers of fog the intensity of fog and for example driving in the rain in the fog in tokyo at night was almost a painful experience because the tracks in tokyo are so narrow uh it really really adds to the challenge as opposed to if you race them in the daytime and i had to come back to this game several times because the the i mean yes you can just adjust your clock and play different times. But I played for long enough that the the uh, environment switch happened. So I got to play all these tracks in at least two different lighting conditions. And all kinds of different weather conditions. And you could really, really tell the difference. The last thing that they tried to do that was... Actually, I don't think anyone had ever done this before. Was they said, we don't necessarily care how fast you get around this track. I mean, you still have to meet your goal. But the main thing we're worried about is the style in which you do it. And those are called kudos. Anytime you take a nice turn or a good drift or you're able to to just barely miss hitting something, uh, you get kudos. That's actually how you progress through the game. And it's a very interesting system because you'll have tracks where you might need 500 kudos to go to the next set of tracks. And it gives you three tracks to get 500 kudos. Well, if you only get 370, you don't go on. You you will never advance. You have to actually go back and do the tracks you'd previously done and do them better. Do them with more style. Hit less things, because every time you hit something, you lose kudos. It was all about trying to get people to get really, really good and really fast at the tracks they were presented. They didn't want you to just skin by. They wanted you to perfect what you had before moving you on. A very interesting take on a driving game. And it's one of those things, so... Let's say on track two, you got 400 kudos, and it's your favorite track, and you love doing it, but then you race it the next time, you have a really bad time, or maybe you just quit out of the track, you will lose the kudos you've earned on that track, and instead get negative kudos. It only records the last set of kudos that you got for a track, and if you exit a track, it's instantly negative 50. You go down to negative 50 kudos. So it's brutal if you're trying to advance in single-player mode, in the story mode, quote-unquote, uh, that you you can't just race something for fun. You have to go in and always give it your all, always give it your best, 
never quit out because that is just devastating for your score. Aaron, when you were playing through this, what did you think of the kudos system? Well, you're asking the wrong guy here on this. I mean, All if right. If you want me to go ahead and chime in. Sure, I, go I for can. it. So, uh, listen. I'm just gonna full disclosure. I don't like these sort of games. All right, these I don't. I've never. I don't like Forza. I don't like the uh, Gran Turismo. I don't like. I don't like real. I could go out and realistically drive. And this suck. is not a realistic driving. Well, you game. know what I mean. This is not any outrun or something. Which is I. I, I like those games. The drifting stuff. I mean, listen. The very first track I played, I was like, I'm gonna take because when you start the game out, you've got no cars and you've got to go kind of win a car by getting a certain time. Right, depending yeah. on what car. Well, I mean, you it's get. super easy. Well, no, it's not. It may be super easy for you, but it wasn't easy for me. It took me forever just to get a car. <laughs> okay. <But> the, test, <laughs> the test drive, it's like you could test drive the car. So I was like, let me test drive these things. And I knew I was in trouble when the test drive track was like one square city block. I yeah. mean, you couldn't accelerate it at all. Small. So I knew I was like, well, this is going to be one of those games where I'm skidding around the corners like an idiot. All right. Well, I'm not good at those games. Also, it's one of those games where you have to keep like a, you know, like a, a professional tr- uh, uh, trace on the road, so you know, like what, like what, the, being on the inside, on the outside, where to be. Again, not necessarily my bag. It also helps if you memorize the track. Also, not my bag. Well, it has a map too. Well, so. I know, I know, but you have to know where the currents are. And also, the, you mentioned that the lighting and stuff. It's an awesome idea, but on the darker tracks, I straight up had trouble seeing. Where the curve turns were coming up, uh, they, the uh, they I wish they were like lit up like with like lights as opposed to just being like matte, you know, just like billboards of arrows. I know I listen. That could just be me, and I eventually just went in and turned the gamma up so I could see okay. them. But I, you know, so now I've got nothing bad to say about this game. All right, it sounds like you've got plenty no, bad. To no, say about no, it. no, no. That's not because listen. I'm going to sit here and what am I going to say? Tell me how crappy fours are great. That's gonna be stupid. I know that people love these games. All right, these sorts of games, uh, and this is an earlier uh, version of this type of game. It looks nice. I will say the could. I I thought I didn't think I was getting screwed on the controls or anything. I thought the controls were good. They give you the. Uh, of course, you get pick the uh, you know automatic or manual transmission. Uh, the all wheel drive you can turn on and off. Uh, it's got uh, um, different. Viewing angles, which I appreciated that. Uh, I like that aspect of it. Uh, the it's got radio stations you can change. The radio stations are all full of like yeah, we're gonna go re- over that. Not real music. I'll let you get into that. It's very, uh, it's very. Uh, I'm assuming bizarre creations is out of the UK somewhere, because every time you go, every time you successfully do something that says "way hey," which is a that's a British exclamation, uh, and if you watch uh, any of their shows. Uh, that's something that comes up occasionally when someone is like, it's almost like saying yippee, uh, basically in, in America. Uh, and so I thought that was kind of cute. Uh, but I did not, I'm I, I'm going to be straight up here. I didn't have much success in the old uh, MSR. Uh, I couldn't hardly win nothing. I did get a car eventually. You know, I, I was like, which one of these cars is the easiest car to get? So I went all the way down to the bottom of the list. And there was a car that you had to be 25 seconds on like, an, on like a straight up, like almost like an oval track. And I was able to do that. I did notice I tried a bunch of different towns, you know, and I noticed that they had a lot of tracks uh, in there. And the towns looked cool. It was it is cool 
at the very beginning of the race where it sort of takes, it kind of zooms in from a distance to your car and you'll hear the local flavor radio stuff like you're in Tokyo or something. You'll hear like Japanese radio stations, which I, I thought that was cool. I like the atmosphere it set, you know, uh, the kudos system. Listen, I was not getting a lot of kudos. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I'm not what I would call good at uh, drifting. If you try, if you struggle to get your first car, I can imagine yeah. not. I mean, I'm just, and I, it's not like I sat down place for like 10 minutes. I was like, I'm done with this. Like, I gave it the college try. But I knew as soon as I sat down, I'm like, oh, crap. This is going to be one of those. <laughs> and mm. it was. Uh, but I, uh, overall, I mean, like I said, if this is your bag, I think there's probably a lot here to... I will say the cities, I mean, a lot of these racing games are like this. I mean, this is not really that big a brag, but the, the cities are lifeless. But for the most, it's, you know, it's just like, it's almost like they're like, uh, you're, you're like on the set of a Hollywood motion picture as you drive around. There's no, there's no people, there's no, uh, there's no birds or anything like that. It's just, you're, you know, you're just going around as fast as you can. I heard, and you may go into this, and I want to steal your thunder, but I heard there were, aside from what you said about the disc errors, I heard there was stuff. There were features yanked at the last minute on this. Yeah, I'm, replay being the biggest. Yeah, yeah, and I'll let you get into that. Uh, and I'm assuming that when you when something that big is is knocked out, that I'm assuming that like stuff like having stuff on the streets or ambiance is not going to be uh, high on the list of what to do. But I mean, I don't hate it. I wouldn't go back and play it. But if you're into this sort of game, it seemed perfectly serviceable. Okay, a few things to note so people don't get the wrong idea. This is not simulation. This is a, an arcade simulation hybrid. It's yeah, uh, it's somewhere in the middle, I would say. Yeah. Uh, uh, it does have it. It wants you to drive well. That's the way the game is focused. Um, as for there not being a lot of stuff in the cities, no, I don't know. I don't. I didn't see anything where that was cut. Um, they did have to cut the replay system because they were having uh, difficulties with it, bugs with it. So that did get axed. <laughs> um, the the way hey that you're talking about, you can actually go in and customize those messages ah. to have whatever whatever you want to come up. Uh, so, you know, if you want to say yeehaw every time you did well, you can. I don't know. Way hey is not too bad. <laughs> I'm gonna like that. Uh, this did have one line functionality, but it wasn't where you were racing against uh, other individuals. It was download ghost. It was um, where you could have leaderboards, that sort of thing, and of course, all that's gone. When Sega Net went down, it took this kind of stuff. I heard, it. I heard that uh, online actual play had been in the cards at some point, but I'm assuming that that also got yanked. Right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Well, I think that was cut pretty early on. Uh, I think they they kind of saw the writing on the wall in that one. Uh, the graphics in this game uh, are top notch if you that actually saw some pictures of what was in the game and the way tokyo looked at the time that it was uh the game was produced and the detail in it was incredibly good some of the later levels and there are tons of races i think it's like 160 Different races, two hundred and seventy different tracks, I believe. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it was there a, you but, go. but that's sort of misleading because it's basically the same bunch of tracks with the arrows set in different areas to different paths. Well, that, no, I I don't think that's misleading like that at all. Well, I mean, it, but it's not like you're going to see two hundred three different like cities. No, 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 they're all area. based in the same three cities. Yeah, different sections, different roads get cut, get blocked off. Um, 
which I, I'm I'm for that and against it. Really depends on how good the environments are. I wish they would have picked somewhere more interesting than San Francisco. I know they picked it for its wide streets and its up and down terrain. I get that. Uh, I just I think they could have done something a little bit more interesting. Um, there are several different when you're playing through the single player mode, and that's really where most of uh, uh, this game takes place is in the single player mode. You you have several different types of challenges to go against. You've got either you try to get your best time and you have like X amount of minutes to get your best time. You have one in one racing where you versus one computer and you're just trying to finish first. You have uh, uh, a mode where you have to try to pass the most cars and it's based on how many cars you can pass. You have where finish X amount of laps in X amount of time, and then they have the challenges where you have lots of computer cars, uh, and it's an actual race against like six or eight computer cars. To go along with the kudos system, you can tweak the challenges as you play them. So let's say the base is you have three minutes to pass seven cars. And you say, I'm really good at this track. I think I can pass 11 cars before the time limits up. And you can up that before the race takes place. And you will get more kudos based on the challenge that you increased it. And it goes the other way too. Uh, For example, the first one-on-one race, I was getting brutalized. I had to handicap the computer player so it gave me a 20 second head start on a three minute map so it you can do that you know if you're really stuck on something it allows you to adjust the difficulty to get past the race earn some kudos and hopefully enough kudos to get to the next set of races on top of that uh they also allow you to uh, uh race for cars and the difficulty is based on the cars that you are using at the time. So if you want to take a low-powered car uh, into a higher-level race, the difficulty actually shifts based on your car's difficulty rating. It's too complex to get into here, but it's a really nice little tweak that allows you to use some of your older cars for even some on some of the most more advanced races. Uh, <clears throat> last thing to get into, because this game has so much, it's hard to pack everything in. Each area, San Francisco, London, and Tokyo, have their own radio stations, have their own DJ personalities. Uh, the Japanese station, the, the person talked in Japanese the entire time, so I couldn't understand them. But their music was mostly uh, dance beats and techno pops that didn't have lyrics. It was just these, you know, upbeat music tunes. Boat's San favorite. Francisco had uh, country themes, country song, and, and and the the DJ was this country dude and this country woman. London had more of a classical vibe. They had what? their own advertisements. They had, you know, that, when I was in San Francisco, they they had a rock guy. It changes during yeah. the time of day. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, the upside to that is, as long as you play 
for a long period of time or at different times during the day, you always get something new and it always sounds fresh. The downside to that is if you play over and over and over in the same city trying to get a a lot of kudos, you get a lot of the repeat stuff. So that kind of sucks. The other problem I really have with the radio stations, I like them. I, I, I think they have great vibes. I think they re- do a really good job on that. The problem I have is, in the beginning, most races are like three minutes, max. So you have the DJ announcing the song, maybe an advertisement plays. All those are good. All those are funny. They're good to listen to. And then you get one-third through the song, and you're done. And you kind of, you never hear the end of songs. I actually went on to YouTube and listened to a bunch of the music because I wanted to hear how the songs ended up. Uh, so and the music is all good. It, it, some of it's campy. Some of it's got a really driving yeah. beat that's it's, really nice. It's not like real music though. Like it's just some uh, it's kind not of generic licensed music. No. It's real music. It's just not licensed right. music. They should have um, called me up. I could have provided a full no, soundtrack. No. Uh, this game sold approximately um, 120,000 units, and 100,000 of its units were in the U.S., so did not do well over in Europe. Um, but it was successful enough that they went on to do Gotham Project Racing, or Project Gotham Racing, I should say, uh, and kind of expanded their craft from there. This game reviewed off the charts... Uh, the lowest anyone gave them was a 7 out of 10, and mostly it was uh, 9s across the board, which I I can wholeheartedly agree with. I enjoyed my time with this game. I spent a lot of time with it. If this is a game that sounds interesting at all to you, I highly, highly recommend giving it a shot. Dreamcast, only way to play it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I understand if this isn't your type of racing game, no matter how good it is, it's not going to appeal to you. But it appealed to me. Top flight, I really had fun. I uh, I sucked at this. I feel I feel <laughs> bad listening to Brent gush all over because I, I was so poor at this game that I didn't get to see a lot of stuff. You know, yeah. I you know, let's just say my my happy my happy uh uh uh, saying didn't come up all that often. The, the dumb <laughs> saying, or the thing that says you're uh, four seconds behind your usual time on the lap would come up a lot. But I mean, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. They did try some new stuff. It's a shame that the replays got cut. It's kind of a weird thing, too, because that's been around for so long that that didn't make the cut. Eh, you uh, know. And, and it's it's also unfortunate they didn't get the internet aspects of it to make it more cool. It's cool that you get to race the ghost. I mean, that's something, but... Yeah. Uh, you know, this could be had. The, the PAL version of this uh, even you would think since it's rarer, it would it would be uh, a little bit higher price tag. But no, you can get it for seventeen, eighteen bucks complete. Yeah. Uh, and the North American release you can get for around the thirty dollar range. Uh, a little bit less if you want just the disc. So yeah, had a lot of fun with this, Aaron. What did the Discord folks have to say about this one? Yes, we did get a uh, we did get a review of this one uh, from our good buddy Pajaco. Uh, Pajaka writes, oh, it's a pretty competent console racing, but definitely a game of its time. The controls are tight, the graphics and audio are excellent. There are a fairly good range of cars available, and the models were pretty good. However, the progression through the level is are quite messy. 
And I got to the point where I seemingly couldn't progress past the first three training races. I didn't know what uh, to do next. Trying to earn more kudos would apparently endanger current kudos and progress, which seemed unfair. Uh, I appreciate there are technical limitations, but looking at the videos and playthroughs, all the races I watched seemed fairly devoid of other cars. I think if I'd played this back in the day, I could see it myself playing it a lot. And I think online, especially back then, it would not, it would be a not a common thing to do, and it would have been awesome. Anyway, he gives it a 7 out of 10, Brent. 7 out of 10. I, I don't know. I'm not going to even score this. I'm just going to say, if you like this sort of thing, give it a whirl. <laughs> you know, not not my cup of tea. Uh, the brand. fair but, enough. You know, I, I mean, I'm not going to bury it though. It, it does look nice. Oh, it looks and sounds great. Yeah, the engine yeah. noises are spectacular. The squealing tires are a bit much. I mean, I'm sure they're it, when you're drifting that much. There's that much squeal, but it, it, it gets to be a bit much. Very good. Well done, Brent. Well done. Uh, so I'll uh, jump in here. I have, of course, we had the choice of any sort of uh, game we wanted. And I was just like, you know, I, I'm like Brent. I'm like, I'm going to try something because I've got a Dreamcast. I've got a couple of them. I'm going to try something I've never played before. And so I was just leaping through games that were released. And I came across one. I was like, wait a minute. How did I not know about this? You know, so I jumped on it. The game I picked was Star Lancer. Star Lancer, the Brent. I never played this. Have you played this before this week? No. No. Okay. So Star Lancer uh, developed by two outfits. Uh, Warthog Games and, and Digital Anvil. Uh, it was a double double punch here. Uh, Warthog uh, had worked on games like Star Trek Invasion and Richard Burns Rally. Digital Anvil had worked on games like uh, they went to go ahead and work on Freelancer and a game called Brute Force. I had played Freelancer, so that's sort of where I thought got the idea to play this. Uh, this was uh, distributed by uh, Microsoft uh, and Crave. And Ubisoft, depending on where you live. Uh, and this was produced by Aaron D. Roberts, Brent. Uh, is, is, does that name ring a bell for you at all? Well, I mean, you're Aaron, so a little That's bit. right, different spelling. Oh. So Aaron D. Roberts is the brother of Chris Roberts, the creator of Wing Commander. Okay. I know, stunning, right? Uh, he worked on a bunch of projects with his brother, uh, and a lot of the, I looked at some of the stuff he produced. I mean, this guy's not like a hanger on in his own right. He's all man. Uh, he worked on, he was uh, either, he was producing or associate producer for Wing Commander Privateer, Strike Commander, Privateer 2, uh, Conquest Frontier Wars, Lego Star Wars, which that's a good one, uh, Lord of the Rings, Aragon's Quest, and Lego City Undercover. And he was, he got design credits. For Wing Commander, Wing Commander 1 and 2, uh, and, uh, of course, Star Lancer. And he got an engineering slash programming credit for Super Wing Commander 1994. I think that was the Super Nintendo uh, spin-up of it. Uh, so this is the it's neat that he sort of worked with his brother on these games. Now, we could never do that. That would be one bad game if me and you were trying to team up on it, and it would not be of the quality of the... Uh, it would not be good. I can't imagine... It certainly it. wouldn't be realistic racing. No. I know that much. <laughs> Well, maybe half of them would be that. And then the other half would be people going around to check shooting the realistic races with a gun. Uh, I mentioned that two outfits worked on this. It was Warthog uh, and uh, Digital Anvil. I looked into just to see, because I'd, I'd heard of Warthog, but I didn't know what they'd done. Uh, they were founded in April of 97 by a bunch of ex-EA employees. Uh, and then they came in to, basically, Star Lancer is one of their earlier games. Uh, they went on to... Uh, 
work on PlayStation stuff. And eventually, get this, you're going to love this. Uh, Warthog was purchased by the development studios. And eventually, it was, oh, excuse me, it purchased other studios. But eventually, it was acquired by Tiger Telematics and became part of the Gizmondo. <laughs> you can believe that. That didn't go too good. Not and, a fitting end. <laughs> Gizmondo went bankrupt. And so some of the guys from Warthog teamed up with some of the guys from Digital Amble to create uh, to create embry- embryonic studios. So that you're, you were talking about these companies coming and going. There's another one for you right there. Uh, so I mentioned this thing that was released. And I should mention it was released in uh, May of 2000 in North America and in Europe. It got a March 2001 release uh, 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 later on. That's crazy. Oh, excuse me. The Windows release was in March of 2000. So the Dreamcast okay. release was late in uh, 2000. So all this crap aside, let's get to the nitty gritty here, the Brent. Um, what do you do in this game? Well, uh, in the tradition of your big star uh, epics, your star battle epics, the beginning of this game starts off with a bang. You're privy to this uh, intergalactic peace conference. There's, there's a preparing. There's a uh, uh, a treaty preparing to be signed at uh, at Fort Kennedy. Okay, now this is. I'm just going to get into this. You've got two forces here coming together to sign this treaty. Okay, you've got the alliance. The alliance has got America. Australia, France, Spain, Italy, Japan, and British and Germany. That's your alliance. So you know who's in the coalition. <laughs> Russia, China, and the Middle Eastern interests, they're called. Okay? So you can see where this is going to go. Uh, the, uh, the coalition turns heel at the conference. They backstab everybody, and they blow the crap out of, out of the fleet. In the process, they pretty much kill off a couple countries' fleets entirely. Uh, the Italian and French fleets both get smashed, all right? Although they do sort of come back in splinter form. And so at that point, uh, you are basically, you come out and are put up in space, and now you're one of the guys flying to try to take down the coalition and get get the alliance back in shape. So remember that. It's the alliance against the coalition. Now, I want to touch base with you on this before I get too far into it. This okay. is another one of these games. Now, I, politically, all that aside, it seems, I, why do we always have to, do we always have to vilify the the Soviet Russians? It seems like that once again, the Russians, the Chinese, I mean, has anyone ever thought to themselves, you know, maybe that's why they're, they're, they're irritated all the time, because they get cast as the heels all the time. And here the Russians are again. When you when you see the opening of this, it's like Ivan and Nikita Koloff from the old uh, NWA r- wrestling days. <laughs> These guys are as there is there you know Das Badania, we must cross the kind nobody USA that kind of stuff. You know, real generic characterizations of these guys. What do you think about casting real world countries as the villains in these futuristic games? Meh. You know <laughs> it doesn't bother you? No. Oh, I mean, enough, someone's got to be evil. And um, I mean, America's been evil in plenty of these games. Like what? Uh, uh, America does tons of evil stuff. I didn't say there. that, but what? What? name me a game where we're evil and the Russians are nobly fighting to put us down. Why you can't would you name ha- one. <clears throat> why would you have a game like that targeted to an American audience? Listen, it just irritates me. This is this is the, the audience of the world. You don't think they had Dreamcast in Russia, China? Come on, they did. They so, didn't have the sales number that America did. Well, 
I will say, Aaron, that's Aaron, a this is the game. This is a far more cry to the capitalist side of gaming as opposed to the political side. So you think that in Russia they release games where we're evil and in, and they're Absolutely. kicking the crap out of us? Absolutely. I may look into that sometime. That might be an interesting feature somewhere on the line. So if you've ever played a Wing Commander game, that a game like Star Lancer should be... Oh, go ahead. Uh, in fact, we've played games where America is the bad guys and Japan is the good guys. And in depending on where the game was released, the roles were reversed. Uh, where you're bombing the, the aircraft carriers, it's a single-screen game. You fly and you can loop around. Yeah, but in that one, that one was from Japan, and you and you fought the Japanese. No, no, no. The one no, I'm thinking it, of. Wings it, of Fury. Wings of Thank Fury. You. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Pixels. Uh, yeah, in the Japanese release of that, you play as the Japanese fighting the Americans. In fact, if you go back to our ARG about that game, you'll get my feelings on that, and it does feel weird. Well, It feels very weird playing the other country, blowing up your own country. I'm just saying, I was instantly take. I was instantly irritated by the plot of this game. I just, I, I don't know, it just strikes me as odd. Uh, so, or not that odd, but just typical. So what do you do in this? If you, again, if you've played Wing Commander, you, this should be pretty uh, common uh, ground for you. As you jump into your uh, various ships to go out and fight the bad guys on this, if you've played Wing Commander, you recall that you've got the scenes where you're in a, you starts off as a pilot, and you could go to the bar and the barracks and all this stuff. This isn't quite like that. This is more of a bang bang operation, consolized, if you will, uh, to uh, to uh, get to the action a little bit quicker. This has cutscenes in between the missions that describe what your mission's going to be at a briefing, and then there'll be cutscenes of your guys running down the hall to get in their ship. Sort of the same kind of thing. This is all rendered. Uh, and it does not. I will say the renderings of the pilots and the and the running around. What they it didn't age all that well, in my opinion. It looked. I mean, you know, you're talking 2000, so you you know what to expect. The actual renderings of the of the mission data, I think those are better. They they look good, but those are just graphics. It's sort of easy to pull that trick. Uh, whereas rendering humans, humans' faces and stuff, a little bit more difficult. Uh, you get your pick of ships there's actually quite a few ships in this you don't get them all at first unless you play one of the instant action modes which i'll get into in a moment but if you're playing a campaign they assign you your <laughs> ship they give you a uh, wing to be a part of and then they pretty much send you off uh i played through about i think i got to the fourth mission this week uh and what this is another thing i liked about it was you could fail at missions to a certain degree and still keep going yeah. Uh, now there are if you get killed, you don't keep going. There are certain circumstances where you can not keep going and survive, which I'll get to in a minute. But uh, initially, you're put inside of, of, of a fighter if you're choosing. I guess you choose about three or four at the beginning, and they're varied on the heaviness of the fighter, the speed, armor, all the stats are there. It's real obvious. And then you're put in the ship proper. Now, this game had a release on Windows. And I've read that the Windows release is is more well-regarded. One of the reasons, I think, is you're trying to do a lot of stuff on a Dreamcast controller in this. This is a game, if you've played Wing Commander, you've noticed that there's all those keys you've got to play. 
think about doing that on the Dreamcast controller. You are, I mean, I will say I was endlessly looping through menus and stuff, trying trying to get a, a custom to it. You can customize your stick, but it only goes so far just because you've got this, so many commands that you've got to keep. Uh, this isn't just like a, a Star Wars arcade where you just go out and shoot. Aside from the fact that you've got to take care of your thrust, you've got to watch your shields, you've got to also uh, rally to certain points. You've got to uh, get help by calling your friends. Sometimes they tell you what to do, and you've got to target individual things. Not only can you target all the friendlies in the game and all the enemies, but if you're going after an enemy's capital ship, for example, the big ships, you can target individual parts of the ship, the engines, the guns, the shield generator, uh, stuff like the bridge. And so, uh, which is cool. It's cool that it's got that much depth, but there's so, and you know, also you've got multiple weapons to fire and you can fire them in multiple ways. So this can be a daunting task when you get started. Even after playing this, uh, Brent, for a few days, I was still struggling to to come to grips with all the controls uh, that were presented to me. Uh, now, with that said, the heads-up display in this is quite good. Uh, you've got a great... Uh, it, it, the way it's rendered is sort of like a virtual heads-up display, which is, you would think something like this would be going on in the future, that gives you your, uh, the, your shields and your uh, speed right in front of you. And then underneath that, you've got a, a, like a three-dimensional rotating map that, that changes so you can tell altitudes and positions of friendlies and enemies. You've also got a, uh, a, a, a shot of your ship and it's a power rating and shields. Uh, and you also got what you're fighting. And occasionally you'll get a little video that pops up in the corner when you're uh, talking to a friendly or sometimes the bad guys will give you like a, a bad mouth here or give you like a death signal before they go. Always. Uh, they yeah. always do. And they do. Well, we'll get to that. And uh, you also, it keeps track of the number of kills you get, the th your amount of thrust you've got, stuff like that. So, I mean, there's a lot going on. I found the heads up display, though, to be pretty good. Uh, when you're attacking an enemy and you've got him in your sights, aside from the ability to track him uh, visually, it even gives you a firing solution based on the enemy's flight pattern and where you need to fire to hit him which is really cool. I really like that aspect of it uh, because that's, I mean, normally games don't have that. You would think that in a future fighter, they would they would put a, a firing solution point up there so you could kind of track it. And it's it feels real natural. Uh, the ships move. I think they move quite well, very silky smooth uh, ships. You can, you can uh, uh, roll, you know, pitch, just like you would expect if you, of course, you had to hit the buttons for it. Uh, and then when you encounter these enemies, it's not just wave after wave of enemies in the campaign mode. These are specific missions uh, that are designed, and they're in multiple legs. Uh, I, I enjoyed the fact that at the beginning of the mission, instead of having to go negotiate your way to a waypoint or whatever, they would just sort of, everyone would sort of jump to the certain point you're going to. You would do, you would fulfill whatever objectives were in that area, and then when whether you did them or not, if you survived, then they would jump you to the next point, you know, with the rest of the fleet. So it, was, it wasn't it was a lot of, like, aimlessly driving through space trying to get someplace. That is always irritating in a game like this. They took that out of it, which I appreciated it. They'll also land you uh, when you get to the carrier, which I like. They also launch you. So you don't have to worry about running into the side of the craft or whatever. I always hated that crap, Brent. Uh, we yeah, had to do yeah. that. Uh, so they've made, it's funny, in some ways they've dumbed the game down to make it a lot simpler. In some ways, it's mostly controller-wise, it's still pretty complicated. Uh, 
the first couple missions, the first mission you go on is basically a kill mission and then a little bit of protection. Then there's a mission where you're trying to escort a guy who's uh, who uh, is an important VIP, and you try to get him to a point. And then, but again, this is a mission that's several legs. So the first part of that mission might be safely guiding this guy to a certain point. Then the next part of that mission, you might go to protect a capital ship. Uh, uh, and then the third part of the mission, it might be you trying to ward off a, uh, one of the enemy's capital ships. These is- missions are can vary in length depending on how accurate your shooting is and how competent you are. Anywhere between, say, I don't know, 15 minutes all the way up. I mean, I had missions that took me like you know, at least a half hour or longer to get yeah. to all the way through the the, the, the missions. Um, when you And, of course, during the mission, you're getting dialogue. You're getting dialogue from your wingmen. You're getting dialogue from the capital ships and your home base. And you're also occasionally getting a, uh, a dialogue from the uh, fighters that are you're fighting. Sometimes they'll badmouth you. You'll hear them come in and you'll see them. They'll they'll you know they'll give you the business. When you blow them up, they'll say something on their way out. And then sometimes your guys will like badmouth the dead guy. <laughs> that happens a lot. So you know, but it is war, and they did just turn on you. So it's I guess it's okay to really hate them. Uh, and so that was neat. So it makes you feel like there's a living battlefield going on as opposed to just you driving around because you can hear stuff going on in the background. Sometimes your wingman will call for help. Uh, sometimes your commander will be like, listen, you're not doing what I said. I want you to go on this objective. I need you to do this. And if you don't listen to him, you're probably going to get screwed. Uh, you need to go do what he says. Uh, you could also, uh, depending on how far you get into the game, you could actually give orders. Uh, I, I got just far enough to where I could sort of tell my guys what to do, but early on, they just don't do what you want. They're like, you're an idiot. You know, because you're under their command. You also end up meeting up uh, with a lot of different forces because the fleet's been splintered. So you'll meet some uh, British forces. You're going to meet some Germans. You know, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, some Japanese. Uh, with one, there's one great port, part where a Japanese capital ship comes in and saves your bacon for two of the two of the uh, Russian capital ships, which is real cool. Sort of reminiscent of the Battlestar Galactica with the Pegasus, if you're old school. I thought that was cool. Uh, once you complete a mission, either way it goes, uh, you fly back to your uh, base. They land you, and then you'll see these two guys run across the flight deck to this like like a board that has like a, a display of what's happened. And if you do well, they might high five or cheer. And if you do poorly, they'll laugh at your performance on the board because they think you're a geek. And then you get a a, a post uh, mission briefing where uh, your commander will say, listen, you did okay here. This wasn't that good. This guy got killed, whatever. It kind of tells you how you did, what you did right, and what you did wrong. And then pretty much you're instantly whisked to the next meeting. Uh, this was a uh, this is the way this game went. Uh, one thing I did like is after the mission briefing, the, the end mission briefing, uh, you, get a li- you get a kill list, like a kill board. It reminded me of Wings, where it shows you all, all the kills that all the commanders had. And you can see where you rank. And then while you're on that screen, the uh, the news is playing all the different things that are going on in the overall battle. So you're getting you're getting all sorts of information about different battles, uh, things that you guys are doing well at, things that you're doing poorly at. It reminded me a lot of like a Babylon Five, where uh, you always they use the news on that show quite a bit to you know try to give things scope and 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 show you how broad the battle was. So they do try to give you a little bit of action right there, 
to kind of tell you what's going on and make it feel like this is a huge battle because it is. These are multiple skirmishes across a wide swath of space uh, involving all these different uh, nations and their ships. Um, I enjoyed the game with the exception of the controls. Brent, I'd like to hear what you thought about it. This is a great atmosphere for a game. Yeah. I even though you you kind of hated on it in the beginning, um, it does really well at explaining why you're going into the action you're going into, and uh, it, it stresses that you are all volunteers uh, at the very beginning of the game. Well, they actually they pull in everyone, even people that were retired. They're like, get in right. here. Like, we're That's all, what I'm saying. Yeah. <clears throat> um. The issue I have is the exact... Well, I have two issues. One is a minor issue, and then one is a, a pretty big one. Uh, the minor issue is every time you kill someone, having the little kill cam come up, I hate it. I yeah, hate that's that. A, that's a holdover from the old Wing Commander. And plus, you heard the same things a million times. A million It was worse time. than the DJs times 10. I agree. It, yeah. it, was, it was off-putting. Yeah. It was off-putting. Um, and I can't imagine playing through the entire game and having those same clips play over and over. Um, I, that, that's, and also, that's one of those things that doesn't even make sense. Why would the last radio broadcast someone makes right before, they're, right before they die go to you? I, it just, I, that, that kind of, it always drove me crazy. Sometimes uh, they will say, like, somebody avenge me. So oh, you can well, sort of that, see that, you know. That, no, it's all done. I know, it, it, it gets old. If they had, like, a hundred of those to play... It'd be one thing, but they got like four. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. I and agree. you and you blow up a lot of ships. Yeah. So, uh, but now onto the major gripe. This is a game that, even if it was designed for the Dreamcast, is made for the PC. Yeah. Uh, the there are just not enough buttons and controls. It needs a a flight stick. Instead of a, a digital or an analog stick, um, it needs thrusters. It needs, uh, I mean, you know, it needs more stuff for your hands to be able to do. Uh, the The graphics in this game are fine. The, the cutscene graphics are a little rough. I mean, they're they're they're, they're aging. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, can you play this on the Dreamcast? Yes. Sure, but when there is the PC option out there, and it's the exact same game, it's cleaned up a little bit. It actually adds a, a, a few other cutscenes and what. Yeah, yeah, a few other it's, the multiplayer's uh, better. Yeah, uh, things to get you into the into the game more. Um, it's tough to recommend this for Dreamcast. It, it's tough when there when the alternative is out there. That said, is this good for Dreamcast? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the controls in this are smooth. Uh, they feel good. It's just you don't have the control, the depth that you want to have. Me, I have a very uh, extensive uh, Elite Dangerous background. I'm used to that kind of control schemes where you've got your flight sticks and your thrusters and your, uh, you know, all on your hands and you can do everything individually. And I mean, Elite Dangerous has hundreds of buttons, so uh, 
even it's overwhelming for PC. But when you have all those controls and you're putting them down to the Dreamcast controller, it's very tough. They do an okay job at it. They do. They have a lot of menus within menus based on the digital pad pad that you use. Um, I can't even imagine trying to issue commands to your the rest of your wings going through that digital cab pad system while you're uh, trying to fight and dogfight and stuff as well. <coughs> the other issue I have, there are some scenarios, and I don't have a huge issue with this because if you fail them, it's not like you lose. You just don't get it. You get reprimanded a little bit. They have situations where enemies will spawn immediately start shooting a fleet you're supposed to be protecting. And if you aren't prepared, if you aren't in the right position, you're going to lose some ships that you're supposed to protect. That's when you have to instantly understand and be able to access your targeting. Because yes. there are, there are, uh, there are, in fact, just on, like, like the second mission in, you're coming up against torpedo ships that you, ha that, and you have to not only target them effectively and quickly, but then you'll have to target the torpedoes that they launch and try to you can blow them out of the sky if you're quick enough, uh, and otherwise you'll lose ships. You're 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 right, uh, but that you know. The but funny like I said, I don't mind that because right. <coughs> that's not a game over scenario for the most part. Um, I it just this is a game, and I I I kind of wonder if they do that so that you will play through it again and try to do like oh yeah I remember that this time I'm not gonna let that happen. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Uh, I just think it's a little cheap. It's a little cheap. Well, I don't think um, it, it's not bang bang. They generally you get a few seconds before. It's not like it's like instantly. usually you get a cutscene that you, says, "Oh God, there they are," and then yeah. they fire. But I mean, then you've got you've got to again. It all comes down to your ability to target. That means yes. that way you'll know who to go after. And, and it would yeah. be so much easier. PC have a button that just targets closest torpedo or whatever. Yeah. Um. So all that said, though, I think this had incredible presentation i think the story is compelling i actually went and watched youtube videos far past uh anywhere i got on this this looks to be about an 11 hour game yeah it's a long if you just one. sat down and played it from beginning to end so the content there is quite a bit i think the the missions are varied just barely enough that they can get away uh with that kind of length of game you do do a lot of the same types of missions uh just flipping through the video out that i saw but i mean it, it's space combat it you have to kind of expect that they do have twist and turn the story that i watched very compelling i'm actually going to see if i can find a super cut of just the story missions because i found it interesting to see how they did and how they transferred uh how they went from losing to not necessarily being on top but being I, in a better position. I didn't watch those just because I thought I would. In fact, I'm sure I've already got games going, so I'll probably just keep playing this one. Oh, excellent! Because uh, yeah, this is a fun. You know, uh, like I said, it's it's not perfect, but it's good for the Dreamcast. It's it's sort of an epiphany. Yeah, in my opinion, this is a game I'm surprised I didn't hear about because it's right up my alley. And again, once you come to grips with the controls, you're okay. Brent is right. The PC version is probably is the superior version. But if you've got a Dreamcast and you're willing to sit down and get the controls on, you should be okay. I yeah. should mention uh, that aside from the campaign mode, you've got a couple other options. One is called Instant Action. This is pretty fun if you just want to get in there and play. It gives you the full uh, allotment of, of fighters and armaments. You could go in there and, and stock up a ship. I, I like the Wolverine, by the way, 
these ships really do have a different feel to them, and the weapons are really neat. It's fun to go out there, and this is these uh, instant actions are like it's sort of like outrun. You've got to kill the guys in a certain amount of time, and you'll get bonus time how quickly you kill them to keep going, and eventually you'll get to the point where you run out of time. It's like uh, an arcade mode, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's also an online element, and unlike your game, this was eight-player online action, brother. And the servers, you could there are private servers still up for this. So yeah, you could actually can play this it. online right now uh, and have a good time at it. Now, this I haven't tried yet, but that would be a, a ton of fun. Your game, when you hit online, you literally can't do anything. It's it, your bug. Right. Yeah, but this one you could actually you could actually get in there and play, which is cool. Um, I looked up how this thing was received. Uh, the uh, critics were pretty fair with it. Just to read some of the re- uh, reviews. Uh, next game gave us an 85, Power Unlimited 82. Uh, uh, we've got a Sega Mag gave it an 80. Uh, and we've got a CVG. It gave this three out of five stars. That's a little bit low, I think. Uh, it was well-received, though, uh, and was uh, considered a pretty nice game, but it didn't do all that well. But then again, nothing did all that well, unfortunately, on the, on the yeah. Dreamcast. <laughs> the funny thing about this is, uh, this game was very heralded on the PC, and the PC version was totally unsuccessful. Uh, it sold under th- uh, 30,000 units, if you can believe that. I a mean, lot of options well for this type under, of game for the PC. Yeah, and the revenue was low. I mean, it's a, think about this. It sold 28,000 units, and the revenues of $1.21 million. That's nothing. Yeah. You know, and, and it was considered a major disappointment. Uh, and uh, uh, the uh, from what I've read... That ultimately, both versions ended up selling in the hundreds of thousands. So I'm assuming the Dreamcast version sold pretty well, but you can't, no one knows for sure. The PC version was runner up for best game no one played at IGN's 2000 Awards. That's kind of a bummer. It also was uh, a finalist for the Sci Fi Simulation of the Year at the GameStop Awards or GameSpots Awards in 2000, but it lost to MechWarrior 4 Vigits, which that's a great game too, yeah. by the way. So, I mean, that's a tough call. You're gonna, I don't know if I could pick this over that. They're both good. Uh, so at the end of the day, uh, I think this is definitely worth playing. If you've got now, you can't just hop out and get the PC version. I don't know if you can get it on Steam or GOG. I don't know where you can get it. Uh, Freelancer came down to Pike about three years later after this came out. That I have played. It's also quite good. But this game really does have a different feel than that, if I'm honest. I was surprised. I thought this would feel real dated, maybe kind of sluggish. But this thing was smooth as silk, brother. I mean, yeah. when you get past the menus, when you're in the actual gameplay, this is quite a treat. And so I would definitely give this one a whirl. If you want to pick it up for the uh, uh, for the Dreamcast, uh, you can get one complete in, uh, in the jewel case for 40 bucks. And I saw sealed copies. I saw a couple sealed copies go for $80. So there's they're out there sealed. Not too bad. We did have one review here also from Jocko. I'll see if I can do a better job with this one. Uh, I love a good space shooter, and this one ticks a lot of boxes. A selection of ships to choose from, a cheesy storyline right out of a million sci-fi movies, great visual and audio soundtrack, although 3D character models and the cutscenes are slightly terrifying. Now, they must have looked amazing back in the day. Flying around was smooth and shooting down enemies and hearing them go down over radio comms was satisfying. It was a little tedious watching hyperspace jump cutscenes after a while. I didn't like having to bring up uh, an in-game menu to do various things with the controller. So this was clearly designed for Windows first and the Dreamcast second. However, I really enjoyed this one. And I think 
I could see myself playing it again. Nine out of ten. No. So that's high praise. High praise. High praise, Brent. I like this game. A lot of fun. Uh, and if you can get past the controls, you're in for a winner here, the Brent. Um, you know what else? We always are in for a winner. And when we do one thing, Brent, you know what that is? What's that? Listen to me sing. And <laughs> spin the wheel. Here we go. Let's spin the wheel then. <laughs> Let, let's... Let's, so, let's try that one. So last week, we spun our Retro Rewind piece. So guess what? We only had to put one new piece in the wheel, and I put everyone's favorite on there, 1990s pinball, the Brent, 1990s <laughs> pinball. That's what the people cry for. More VHS copies, a, a coverage, and more pinball. All right, you have a, you have a thought on this week? Uh, give it, give that a little, a few preliminary spins there, Aaron. I, oh, are you I, I need to loosen the wheel up a little bit. You need here? to warm it up a little bit. New go. year, we gotta get, we gotta get it feeling right. good. Here we go, everybody. Huh. And the winner is. Oh, I can't tell what that is. Um, sequel games that aren't like the original. This one. Oh, I believe that's a Chris Folds piece. That's a Chris Folds joint right there. So we're going to be covering sequel games that aren't quite like the original. Do you have a thought on that one, the Brent? Uh, I know where I'm looking. <laughs> I know where I'm going, yeah. You know, I will say there are tons of options there. Everything Absolutely. from arcade games all the way to the PC and the console scene. There are. T- it's funny how many games start off one way and then go in a completely different direction, sometimes with brilliant results. And sometimes with hideous, hideous results that kill the series. <laughs> yep. We sort of sort of kind of touched on this on topic a couple months ago with another one of the things we spun up where we picked end up picking some games that had different sequels. So this should be a lot of fun. Do we want to set any uh do you want to set any rules for this or we're gonna go wide open next week? No VCR games. Okay, action max it is then. <laughs> Did that come out on beta? We can do beta, right? No. Listen. Before we uh, take it to the house here, just a couple uh, items on the uh, docket, Brent. Uh, this is episode, I believe this is episode uh, 198. Is that right, Brent? Yes. And so yes. tell the people what happens here in a couple episodes. Tell me, too. Uh, we'll be on episode 200. That's right. What's the big deal? Uh, what is the big deal? That's, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. It's going to be a huge show is what you oh, meant to say, okay. you idiot. It's going to be a huge show with all sorts of crazy things going on. Who'd have thunk it, Brent? 200 episodes. I've managed to put up with you for about 180 of those, I think. 100, something like that. I can't remember when Boat left and you came in, but it was right around there. Uh, it's been a long haul. I believe 16 is when the transition happened. It's funny. If you look, if you go back and watch the the journey of ARG, it's been a journey of, uh, of moderate highs and dizzying lows with production <laughs> levels that have been... Well, they vary greatly. Uh, let's put it that way. So, but by God, we think we've got it nailed down now, the Brent. So that should be coming. Oh, up we've thought that weeks. before. That's true. <laughs> um, I'll have to check the audio from this, and I'll tell you. Um, I also want to mention uh, the Brent that coming up uh, January 29th, it will be happening as the International Computer Club reconvenes uh, once again for all sorts of fun and excitement. Uh, the brand. I'm looking forward to the old ICC this time around. Uh, if you are a member of the Discord, I urge you, strongly urge you, to head over to the ICC International Computer Club area, and there's a sign-up sheet there. Sign up uh, and present us. You, the floor is yours. Every one of these International Computer Clubs has been bigger than the last one, and the last one was pretty large, the Brent. One of the biggest things we've ever done on the channel, 
and uh, we always, we had a good time. We had a uh, like for example, the last time we've we've gotten everything from 3D printing tips, virtual movie poster setups, to programming tips on the ZX Spectrum, book reviews, uh, and everything in between. You never know what you're going to get on ICC, but I don't know until I look at what's happening that day because it's always some kind of crazy stuff. So if that if that sounds interesting to you. Please head over to the Discord and check it out. And if you are not a member of the Discord or you just want to watch the show, it will be streaming on Twitch. I believe the start time, if I'm not mistaken, Brie, I believe it was like 4 p.m. on that, if I'm not mistaken. So I'll go back and check that. I'm pretty Probably something you want to check on that one, yeah. Aaron. Uh, and we'll go hours and hours. It's going to be a long, it's a long show. That's Eastern Standard Time, by the way. So that's International Computer Club. Uh, Brent, we've talked about International Computer Club. We talked about the 200 show. Are we missing anything at all? No. There it is. As they said, you said I wasn't allowed to talk about Boat Fest anymore. You could briefly talk about it. Boat Fest. Woo! <laughs> there it is. More more uh, announcements forthcoming with the Boat Fest. So, next week, Brent, we will be playing games that had radically different sequels. And until then, I bid you a fond adieu. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Special thank you to Duncan Styles for our Vector Style Graphics and Bartfit for our amazing music. Would you like to help keep ARG spinning? You can do so at patreon.com slash ARG present. Just like these fine folks. Rollo, Olaf Hope, Aww. Terry Howard, Gary Heather, John Schaller, The Solo Norris, Frodo and L, Chris Fold. Mitsuyama, Jason Warns, Rob, Black O'Hara, Andy Craig, Andy Jones, Kevin Bean, Pachaco6502, Anthony Jarvis, Steve Rathmason, Bernhard Lucas, Dave Velociraptor, Graham W. Vetke, Roshi, Mr. B, David Terrence, Super Tech Boy, Aram, Sundown, Texas Foosballer, Airshack, Retroalgy, John Dykeman, Jerry Dennington, Z9K9, and Mario Ramey. They all have access to our Discord channel and their names put and called out in the credits. Why don't you? If you have an idea for a wheel piece, you can email us at argpresents at mail.com. Be sure to visit our sponsor, RetroRewind.ca, and use promo code ARG10 to get 10% off your order. We film live every Sunday, 10 a.m. EDT. Hope to see you there.